Thanks, guys. If you have a, um, how many of you have one of these? A cell phone? How many of you got a cell phone? Can you take it out if you have a cell phone? I never ask you to take your cell phone out in church. I don't ask you to take your cell phone out in church. Take your cell phone out. I'm not even going to ask you to turn it off. Some of you think, oh, he's just going to ask me to turn it off. I am not going to ask you to turn it off. In fact, I want it on. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a cell phone, how many of you know how to take a selfie? How many of you know how to take a selfie? How many of you have ever taken a selfie in church before? Would you do me a huge favor? Take your cell phone out and take a selfie of yourself, or if you're here with your spouse, take a selfie of you and your spouse right now with your phone. If you don't know how to do it, ask someone who's under 30 who's sitting beside you. Oh, we're going to do it with Ting. Here we go. All right, there we go. And I'm going to get one of everyone, so Pastor Brian, I can prove that I was here today. Uh, he can see everyone who is here. All right, take your selfie. All right, now here's what I want you to do. You got your selfie? Everybody got it? Now take out your Connect card. Take out your Connect card. We've got a little project, a little project as we get started today. Take out your Connect card. On your Connect card, you may not notice it, but every week on your Connect card, on the right side of that Connect card, there are a number of names and email addresses listed to you. One of those email addresses, if you scroll down, says Mary Basler, assistant to the pastors. Now here's the big, here's the hard part. Here's the completion of the task. Will you, could you, would you consider taking that selfie you just took and emailing it to Mary Basler, mbasler at mounthope.org and send that to her right now. Blow up her phone right now with all of our pictures from Belmont so that Mary can get those. I see a couple shaking your head. No, you're like, no, I'm just going to put them online. Let everyone else see them. I'm not sending them to the church. Um, but here's why I ask. Because we have a wonderful database at the church that helps us keep in touch with people and keep in contact with people. And for many of you, it has your name and your address and what you're involved in and how long you've been coming to Mount Hope. And then it has a little gray circle that is your face. And I don't want that gray circle to be your face. I want your face to be your face. Um, and so I have, over the years, tried all kinds of ways to ask our team to populate those pictures. We have gone on to social media and pulled pictures of you off. We have Googled your name online and tried to get your photo. We have set up photo booths and tried to get your photo. And we still have a lot of gray circles in our database. So I would love to have your photo instead of a gray circle. And uh, for one reason, here's a reason why. Because I was in staff meeting this week, and we were going through the prayer cards that came in and the prayer requests that came in. And we were praying for someone who we all kind of heard the name, but we didn't quite know who it was. But it was a person. We happened to have her picture in our database. And we pulled it up, and we said, oh, this is who we're praying for. And we all went, oh, I know her. Now I can talk to her on Sunday and, and mention to her that we prayed for her because I can connect her name with her face. And with two locations, a lot of times Pastor Brian will come to our staff meeting and say, hey, we're praying for so-and-so. Well, who's so-and-so? They don't get to come to Belmont. Here's what they look like. Here's who we're praying for. And so it's just helpful for us to keep in contact. If you wouldn't mind sending that to us, we would appreciate it. And I would love to have your face rather than the gray circle. All right? Fair enough. Okay, that's my project for the morning. Okay, back to our messages. Again, glad to be here this morning. And um, we're in this series called This Is Us. Uh, every year, 
uh, in November usually, sometimes a different month of the year, we take some time to do a relationship series at Mount Hope. And the reason we do this is because we're all in relationships and in many different places. You are a part of an us, someplace. You are a part of an us. Even if it's just you being here on Sunday morning, you are now a part of an us. And we all have these things, and being in an us is complicated. So we want at least once a year to talk about our relationships because I don't want to go a whole year at Mount Hope without at least once talking about marriage, talking about parenting, talking about how we relate to one another. And some of you are there and some of you aren't there, but it's important to talk about what God is doing in the midst of it. So um, we talk about us, and we talk about us because us is complicated. Us is complicated. And I, I mentioned this at Burlington uh, a couple weeks ago, but when me plus you becomes us, things get complicated. It happens. How many of you know that? Me plus you equals us, and we get complicated. Here's how this came, uh, here's how this kind of tangibly was, I realized this recently. Um, a couple weeks ago, Wendy was away, and she was away for 12 days, and that's a long time to be away. Um, but she's back, and I'm grateful for that. But here's one thing that happened while she was away uh, that I thought was interesting. While she was away, every single day, all 12 days that she was away, I made the bed. And that may not seem significant to you, unless you visited our house on any other days. And you would realize that the bed at times doesn't always get made. But for 12 days straight, while Wendy was gone, I made the bed. And why did I make the bed for 12 days straight? One, because it's easier to make the bed when only one person is messing it up, I guess. But two, because it's not as complicated making the bed when it's just me. Because I know if I don't make the bed, the bed's not going to get made. But when there's another person there, I'm thinking, well, she'll probably make the bed. And she probably looks at me and says, well, he'll probably make the bed. And I'm like, well, she got up last. Last one out makes the bed. That's the rule. I mean, you can't, I can't very well make the bed with someone else in it. So if you're the last one out, you make the bed. I'm sure she thinks the same thing of me. If I'm the last one out, I get to make the bed. And yet the bed goes unmade often. And sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're a bed maker, how many bed makers? How many of you cannot start your day without making your bed? How many of you, you don't care? You're like, I get, uh, you bed makers don't judge. We, right? Now, let me ask for a third category because I did a little research on, I know, strange thing to research. There's a third category of people that are among us that you may not know that, that exists when it comes to bed making. Here's the third category. How many of you, if you don't make your bed in the morning and then you come home at the end of the day, before getting into bed, you will make your bed. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's something going on there. That's something. Uh, that, is, that, is some, that is some diligence. I don't know what that is, but you are a unique group. I, I don't do that, but that's okay. Um, but this thing, this idea that the reason is because when it's just me, well, I either make it or I don't. When it's just you, you either make it or you don't. But when there's us, we need to have a conversation. Who makes the bed? How does the bed get made? Should we even make the bed? Is it important? Did you come from a family of non-bed makers? You know? Some of you get nervous. Did I just marry a non-bed maker? Like, what kind of upbringing did this person have that they didn't make the bed? You bed makers think that. 
So it complicates things. And so this is us. But you plus me equals us, and it complicates things. And then last week, we talked about parenting. So when us, when you add them, those little thems, when you add them to us, it complicates things too. When you get little thems running around your house and you add them to us, it gets complicated because the thems do nothing for themselves. They just, they, I'm not sure if you know this, if you don't have any thems, uh, when the thems are real small, they do nothing. Uh, they need everything from you. And so you not only have more people, you have more responsibilities and more roles, and that becomes complicated, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, because you have a very important role for them, which is to raise them up to know and follow and love the Lord, and that complicates things. So us is complicated. But I want to talk this morning not about parenting, not about marriage, but I want to talk about this question of should there be an us? I want to take a few minutes and talk about uh, this week dating. Now, I recognize that there are a lot of you that are not currently dating, a lot of you that are hoping never to have to date again, some of you that are hoping one day to date, some of you in here are hoping one day your parents will just let you go on a date. But let me just, let's just make sure how applicable this is. How many of you have dated did date, once dated, or one day will date, or hope to date? How many of us in here? There's a big part of our room. Okay. Now, of those of you that did date at one time, you're done. You're married, or you're done with dating, whatever that is. You're done with dating. Of those of you that did date at one time, how many, and I'm serious on this question, raise your hand. How many of you say, I did it perfectly? One. But I didn't see your spouse raise your hand. So, that doesn't count unless they both do. <laughs> you, you got it. The end justifies the means. Okay. You got it. Mission accomplished. <laughs> the truth is, I think a lot of us would say, I didn't even do it close to perfectly. Maybe we got some things right, but we probably got some things wrong. And I think most of us would say, at least for me and maybe many of us, I didn't really have anybody tell me how to do it. Uh, now, some of you may have come from places, maybe you had an arranged marriage, you didn't have to even worry about dating. That's, you know, that's some families in our church where that's actually true of. But some of you, those of you that did date or whatever you called it, court, date, whatever your word was for it, no one really laid out how it was supposed to happen. And I think one of the reasons is because we all kind of feel like, well, I didn't get it perfect, so I'm not sure I should be telling you how to do it. Or I didn't get everything right. I'm not sure I want to pass that on. And so we kind of handle dating like going shopping for a new outfit at the mall. Like you'll just know it when you see it. Like you'll hopefully just know the right person when you see the right person. And we really leave it kind of ambiguous, which is strange for one of the largest decisions of our lives. And for some reason, Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, for some reason with dating and marriage, we treat it differently than almost any other part of our life in this way. For some reason in marriage, we think that the promise is going to overcome the lack of preparation. That somehow we think that, that, that the strength of the promise, the I do's, the I will's, and I just... To, Three weeks ago, 
I was on, or four weeks ago, I was on this altar with a couple that was up here, uh, a bride and a groom who then became husband and wife, and they were making their vows, and they made these strong vows to one another, I will, I do, I promise. But we do very little sometimes to make sure the I wills become I haves. That a lot of times somehow we think that the strength of the promise is going to overcome a lack of preparation. And yet it's so important because this decision is huge. I mean, this decision involves not only you, it involves other people, it involves so many other implications because it's for the rest of your life and the rest of my life, and it's what your parents think about it and what's what my parents think about it, and it's what your friends say about me and what my friends say about you, and it's about your stuff and my stuff, and I'm not talking about the stuff that goes into boxes when you move. It's about the stuff that I bring from my past and the stuff that you bring from your past. And it's all kind of coming together. And it's a huge decision. And we don't talk much about how to do it. And so on a Sunday morning in church, though you may be here saying, why are you talking about dating? This is why. Because it's an important part of life. It's a major decision. It's one thing sometimes we leave without much instruction. So we're going to spend a few minutes this morning talking about it. You know someone who's dating. You may be a parent who has kids. Maybe you have friends. So let's just talk a little bit about that for a few moments and what the Bible has to say about it. Now, I will admit right off, the Bible has very little to say about dating. This concept of what we call dating um, and whatever other word you might use for it, because dating isn't even a great word for it if you look at its origin. Um, the origin of the word dating is not good. Actually, has its origins in prostitution and all kinds. But this is the word we use for this getting to know someone before you make a commitment to them. Um, it's not in the Bible. I mean, the only places you see in the Bible where people, you know, are seeking their mate um, is usually involves things like sending your servant out to go find someone um, or uh, you know, sending large gifts of animals and, and, and things to go, to go seek and, and, you know, bribe the husband or working seven years so that you can get your wife only to be tricked and then have to work another seven years. I mean, all kinds of things that are descriptive but not necessarily prescriptive on this idea of courtship or dating. A lot of things in there but not much on completely how to do this. So we have to take some general principles and apply them to the specific, which is dating in this case. So as we've been looking at this in this series, This Is Us, we say let's look at our relationships through the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's Prayer is a first-person plural. It is our Father. So it is people in relationship with each other praying, worshiping, following God. And so we use this lens to look at different aspects of our relationship. And so we're going to do that this morning as well. So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Would you stand with me? And let's just pray this prayer together um, as we do this, and then we'll continue on looking at this specific topic. Jesus taught his disciples, and he said, pray then like this. Let's
Yes, Lord, this is our prayer, and we thank you, Lord, that you have taught us how to pray, and we thank you that you have given us one another. Relationships, God, in our lives, but especially in this church. Lord, that you have given us one another and called us to love one another and called us to care for one another. And so even today, I pray that you would teach us how to glorify you and to love you in our relationships, all of them, Father. Lord, we thank you. Continue to guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this idea of the Lord's Prayer, the last couple weeks when we talked about marriage, we said your kingdom come was the part we focused on, that when you're married, it can't be my kingdom, it can't be our kingdom, it has to be Lord, your kingdom come. That's the that's the posture that we have to have. With parenting, we focused on the our daily bread and God's provision in that and the dailiness of raising children to depend and know the Lord, that it's not a one-time thing, that it happens every day, and it needs to be a part of that. Which part do you think we're focusing on today when we talk about dating? Anyone got a guess? I heard it somewhere. Lead us not into temptation. Let's focus on that one this morning. Lead us not into temptation when it comes to dating. There are many temptations that come up when a couple is dating. And I think many ways that the church over the years has tried to deal with those temptations. Sometimes we try and deal with them with rules or laws. We try and say, all right, do this and don't do that. And sometimes if you've been in a youth ministry, if you've grown up in the church at some place, the youth pastor sits down and, and then one of the questions the students have, what about dating? You know, what do we do? What, what don't we do? And when I was a kid growing up in youth group, there was always a list or a chart. It didn't always look the same, depending on who was leading it. And you'd always ask, well, where's the line? You know, what can we do? What can't we do? And then, you know, can we hold hands? Can we not hold hands? Can you put your arm around someone? Can you not? Can you kiss? Can you not? And there was always, like, things on there that I wouldn't have expected to be on there. Like, the one that was always on there that I didn't expect was touching hair, like touching the other person's hair, which I thought, well, that's kind of weird, but apparently it's very intimate to, to in, in many people. And so that's like on the list. And I don't know, can you touch someone's hair? Can you not touch someone's hair? But this, we did it with rules a lot of times. When I was dating in the 90s, uh, dating my wife and her, and she um, was thankfully dating me, um, we had, there was a book that came out. Some of you may have heard of it. It was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And it was very popular in Christian circles. And recently, the author has come out and said he now kissed, kissed, dating goodbye. Um, he has kind of renounced some of the things that he said in that book. But many of the Christian culture adopted this and said, yeah, that's it. We need to get rid of dating. We need to go to a courtship model where go back to... You know, you sit on the couch in your parents' house and you court one another and, and it's overseen by, by parental figures and we need to go that route. And that didn't quite work either because in many ways, for one thing, um, that movement kind of made promises that it couldn't deliver on necessarily and that the Bible never made. Uh, we sent the implicit message that if you will follow these rules 
that you will then have a perfect marriage and you will have all the joy and fulfillment and all the things you ever wanted in marriage if you will just do this and follow this prescription. But it doesn't always work that way. People are broken and sin comes in and A doesn't always equal B. And so we were left going, okay, well, how do we do this thing? I think one of the biggest challenges is because when we talk about lead us not into temptation, we have ignored with our rules one of the biggest temptations that we face and one of the biggest torpedoes to relationships and marriages. And it has very little to do with the things that were often on the lists that I saw when I was in youth group but has everything to do with how a healthy relationship between two people and especially two Christians works, and that is that we have ignored the temptation to find our contentment, our meaning, our purpose in life in another person. That one of the greatest temptations, that if you are dating or you are thinking of dating or you are one day hoping to be married or you are hoping to be in relationships, that one of the greatest temptations you will face is to put your hope, meaning, purpose, and look for contentment, not in God, but in another person. That you think that you are not complete. In fact, years ago, there was a movie with the famous line where, where the man looked to the woman and said, you complete me. If you're married and you're here with your spouse, I want you to turn to each other right now. And I want you to say, you do not complete me. <laughs> because if you are married, you know that's not true. You are not completed by another person. You were created by God to be completed and find your ultimate contentment in Him. But one of the greatest temptations of the enemy is to take your eyes off God and to say there's another place where you can... You don't need God. No, 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 no. You don't need God. You can find contentment somewhere else. You can find meaning and purpose somewhere else. In fact, the earliest part of Scripture, we have this temptation. If we look at Genesis and we look at Genesis, we can see Satan bringing this temptation in, the evil one. We just prayed that prayer, deliver us from evil. And another way to interpret that, in fact, some of you grew up with a translation that said, deliver us from the evil one, which is an accurate way also to translate that word. Um, but Genesis, the evil one, introduces temptation into God's creation, and it goes like this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Here's the temptation, right? You don't need God. You'll be like God. Everything you think God gives you, you can get somewhere else. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And here's the temptation from the very beginning. You can find what you need without God. You can look to the creation for something that only the creator said he can give you. And here's the temptation in relationships. The temptation is that you are going to look for a person to fix your problems. Temptation is that you and I will look for a person. I've got problems. I've got, pro- I've got needs. I need meaning. I need purpose. I've got problems in my life. I've got stuff in my background. All I real. But if I find the right person, it'll fix all my problems. Some of you have been down that road, and you know where it ends, and it doesn't work out that way. How many of you watched, I'm going to ask, this is a confession. This is going to take bold, this is going to take courage to make this confession, all right? But we're family here. We're okay, right? Here's a confession. How many of you watch cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies? And we'll admit it. Well, I will tell you much less than in the first service, or at least the first service might have been more honest. I don't know which it is. Somebody's watching them. Well, I'm raising my hand. I watched. All right. I'll I'll confess. There are four of them on my DVR right now. Um, And if you know what happens with Christmas Under the Stars, don't tell me. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know how it goes. Same way they all go. Uh, But here's the thing. Cheesy Christmas Hallmark movies. I actually enjoy watching them. But there is a lie that is propagated in just about every single one of them. And the lie that's propagated in every single one is that all you need is to find the right person. And if you find the right person, it's going to fix everything else. And if you're watching a cheesy Hallmark Christmas movie, you know who that right person is and who it isn't. It isn't the guy in the three-piece suit in the high tower building working in the city, right? You know who it is. It's the guy with the scruffy beard. Looks good in the plaid shirt, carries a Christmas tree over his shoulder, drinks hot chocolate, knows how to make a good s'more. That's the guy that if you find him and this girl finds this guy and they get together, everything is going to be fine. You'll find meaning in life. You'll have purpose in life. All the hurt that you've been carrying around, all the pressure and the burdens are gone. The pain of someone you love died because that's every Hallmark movie. It was either a spouse or a parent. It's far enough in the past that we can talk about it, but it still causes pain. But once you meet this person, everything's fine. Like, oh, yeah, now I know how to think about my dad and my mom. And this propagates this lie that somehow we come to believe And if we're not careful, it disciples us, it shapes us, it forms us. And I start thinking, yeah, all I need to do is find that right person. And I'll have meaning and purpose and contentment and my job will make sense and my life will make sense and I'll have healing. And so when we talk about dating, You have to be careful. The biggest temptation I think you will face in a dating relationship. Now, there's all kinds. There's physical temptations, all that stuff. I'm not undermining that. 
But one of the biggest ones you will face that nobody talks about that will undercut your relationship is substituting a person for the place that only God is supposed to serve in your life. Is putting a person in the place and putting the pressure on that person to serve a role that only God himself can serve. It's like trying to build a house on a foundation of toothpicks. It was never meant to carry that kind of weight. And if you go into your relationship and you say, I'm broken and I'm unfinished, but if I find the right person, they'll fix me and they'll finish me, it's not only futile, but it is a recipe for failure in your relationship. Andy Stanley, uh, in the same sermon that I referenced earlier, says, says this. He says, are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? Focus on this preparing part. Focus on this contentedness in the Lord. Are you becoming the person you are looking for is looking for? Because so often we think, oh, I know the person I want. I want this person, you know, you're in the church, you know, I want this person that loves Jesus with all their heart. I want this person that loves the Lord with all their heart, that goes after God, that prays, that seeks God, that, that finds their meaning and their purpose and their ultimate fulfillment in God, and then I'm in their life. Well, that's great, but who do you think that person is looking for? That person is looking for someone who loves Jesus with all their heart, loves the Lord God with all their heart, serves God, and, and is praying and is disciplined and, and all of that. So are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? And so often, we're often thinking about, well, I just want to find that person. Well, maybe we need to change and focus on just the Lord and the person that God is making us into. I'm not saying it's not hard. Look, finding that right person, finding that relationship, if we went around and told stories, we'd all probably have a different one the way the Lord uses it, the circumstances go. I'm not saying it, it all makes it easy. And I will tell you this, it's going to narrow your scope. It's going to take some options off the table. But you're only looking for one. You might as well find the one that is on that same path that you are on, walking towards the Lord. It's this contentment that we are tempted to find contentment in a person instead of God himself. Paul said it this way when it comes to contentment in Philippians chapter 4. He said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, say this word with me, learned, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was talking about money and finances and physical needs, but I don't think it's at all a stretch to say and apply this to our relationships, to say that I have learned or I am learning to be content. And the secret of that is to recognize I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That God is enough for you. I can't promise you the perfect spouse. 
I can't promise you if you're searching and looking that God is, I'd love to be able to say that. I'd love to be able to say, if you just do this, God will automatically do that. We've been around long enough to know that we can't put God in that box. But I can promise you that God will be enough for whatever he's called you to. That God will guide you and lead you. Paul said, I have learned. It's not snapping your fingers and all of a sudden you're content. It's a learning process. Contentment is a fireplace, not a light switch. You build it. You cultivate it. You fuel it. You tend it. You give it what it needs, and it provides warmth for your life, your home. You don't flip a light switch on. And, oh, I'm content. Yeah, that's all I need is Jesus. It happens over time. It happens when you abide in Christ. It happens when you walk with him and you trust him and you learn to trust him daily. It happens when you come to God and say, God, I will not just trust you with my pain. And some of us are willing to do that. I have pain and I'm going to God. God, I need your help. It happens when you say, God, I will also trust you with my pleasure. I will also trust that those good things I want those good things sometimes I really feel like I need, that I will not go after them in a way that is contrary to you and your ways. But I will trust that you will not only provide for me in my pain, but you will also provide and take care of my pleasures and my desires. God, you are enough. Usually we have trouble with one side or another of that. Some people refuse to trust God with their pain. They say, no, God did this. I can't, I can't follow him. I was too much pain. I can't trust him. But then there's other people who refuse to trust God with their pleasure. No, I want this, and I don't think God really cares enough about me, and I'm going to go after it in whatever way I have to to get it. In fact, they'll put their, relation, their relationship with God on pause while they pursue relationships with other people. And they'll stop loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength to pursue what they want and then thinking, well, then I'll come back to God. Then I'll come back to the Lord. And I'll say this, uh, close with this, Andy Stanley, one more time. I listened to his sermon. I thought he put this well. He said, um, if you're here, and I'm just going to say, if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, but you are dating a follower of Jesus. And you're here this morning as not a follower, and you're here and you're dating a follower of Jesus. You need to know, and I'm going to tell you something they won't tell you. And they don't want me to say what I'm about to say. They want you to change. They don't want you to stay the way you are. And you say, well, how do you know that? You know how I know that? You're in church today. So, so don't be fooled. If you are not a Christian, you don't intend to follow Jesus. Don't date a Christian unless you intend to become a follower of Jesus. Don't date a Christian unless you intend to become a follower of Jesus because that's what they really want. And it's only going to cause more pain down the road. 
And if you are dating, if you are not a Christian and don't intend to be a Christian, and you are dating a Christian and they are sleeping with you, that's even worse because now you're dating a hypocrite. Someone who says they think something and believe something and follow something and don't. And you don't want to date that. Here's the things that God laid out. The truth is that you need to find your contentment in God and God alone. Not in another person. That he alone can be your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To find constant contentment, find contentment in that which is constant. You look for it in a person, they're eventually going to disappoint you. If you look for it in yourself, like Emma Watson this past week who came out and said she's self-partnered, eventually I think you'll find yourself is not enough to bring you true and ultimate contentment. There's only one who's constant and complete. There's only one that can bear that kind of weight. And it's God and God alone. Augustine said it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. My prayer for you this morning is that you would not give in or fall into the temptation that says that another person will provide what you're ultimately looking for in life when it comes to contentment, purpose, meaning. Those things are only going to be found in the Lord, and he is jealous when we try and find them someplace else, when we try and look for them someplace else. In fact, there's a word for it. It's called idolatry. Whenever we put something in the place of God that only God is supposed to hold, we're actually worshiping something other than God. And so as we close out this morning, that's what I'd like us to do. Because not all of you are in a dating situation. I get that. Not all of you are in that. I get that. But we're all in a place where we may be susceptible to the temptation to look to a person for something only God can provide. We're all in a place where we can have, the th- it could be your spouse, it could be your boyfriend, girlfriend, it could be your kids, it could be your parents, it could be a really close friend. We're all in a place where we are susceptible for looking to people to provide what only God can provide. And so as we close out, we're going to sing a final song of worship as the team comes. I want to invite you to examine your heart. God, is there any place in my life where I am seeking from people purpose, meaning, contentment, what only ultimately you can provide? Is there any place in my life where I have put a person in place of you, and I'm hoping they will give me what ultimately only you can. Father, our Father, as we come to you this morning, and we ask, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Lord, in this area of our life, would you lead us not into temptation? Would you lead us away from the temptation of finding our purpose 
completeness, contentedness in someplace other than you. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that, Lord, we would recognize and seek and know that, Lord, it's only in you that we can find that type of meaning and purpose. And, Lord, I recognize that in a room like this and on a day like this, there are all kinds of different emotions and places in life where people are at. I pray for those who are dating because we don't often do that in church and don't do it enough. I pray for those couples this morning who are here and they're dating and they're trying to figure out, is this right? Is this the one? Do we go, are, are, we, are we going to say forever and ever and I'll make a vow to you for the rest of my life? God, I pray that you would guide them. I pray that you would guide their hearts. I pray that you would give them wisdom, help them to be people of integrity in that relationship. Lord, help them to walk with you with integrity, to put you first, even in a place where they're so captured or enamored with another person. Lord, I pray that you would protect them from the temptations of the enemy that would come their way from all different directions. And Lord, I ask that we as a church would help and provide an environment where couples can come together, learn about you, learn about each other, and grow and enter into a covenant of Christian marriage where they would walk with you and each other for the rest of their lives, Lord. Father, I pray for marriages in this room that are struggling today, even as a message like this brings up thoughts and ideas. And Father, would you strengthen those that are struggling? Lord, I thank you for those that are flourishing. Pray that you continue to bless them and help them to be a blessing to others. Guide us today as we close this service, surrendering our full lives to you in every place, our pain and our pleasure. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close out with this final song.